My name is Thomas. For those who don't know me, I'm uh, one of the staff pastors here at the church. And hello to everybody who's streaming from back home. Good to be with you guys and connect with you. And so I hope you guys are doing well. And uh, happy new year, by the way. Happy New Year, 2021. All right, you guys are alive. Good. So yeah, we're here. 2021 has officially arrived. And so this this time of year, this is a, a time for new seasons, right? It's a time where we're we're, we're coming up with uh, some, some new resolutions, New Year's resolutions. How many of you participate in that? You come up with like a new resolution every year. Okay, like two of you. All right. So, you know, like this is a common thing that people do is that they list out their resolutions and just set some goals for their life, you know, and ways that they can improve their overall well-being, which I think is, is, is really good. Um, but if you just like do a quick Google search, like what are like some of the most popular New Year's resolutions out there, you'll find that like every year uh, they're, they're, they generally consist of the same set of goals, right? Like it's always like what, like, you know, you know lose some weight. You know, like change uh, your diet, eat better, uh, get some better sleep. It's usually involving like physical health improvements. And that's really good. You know, uh, get a new hobby or just, you know, just be a better person overall. Um, and most of you probably know this. Do some research like, you know, when people drop out of their New Year's resolutions. Anyone have a, a guess? A week? like two weeks to say like January 19th, like 80% of people drop out of their New Year's resolutions. So you got two more weeks to keep, keep working at it. Okay. But here's the thing, when it comes to resolutions, like why we do them, even though we know we'll drop out of them, some of us do, some of us don't, but we just, you know, we, we love to do them. It's part of the tradition, but we also love to set goals, but it goes even beyond that. If you do the research on it, like why people come up with New Year's resolutions and oftentimes it's for a desired outcome that I think everybody desperately wants, and that's happiness. That these goals, you know, it's not just checking off a list like, okay, I did it, I achieved that, but it's in hopes that this will actually make my life better. It will actually make me happier. And I think that's a good thing. Like, we all desire happiness, right? So I've titled my talk today, The Truth About Happiness. There's a lot that culture has to say about happiness, but since we're in a place like this at church, I think it's important to address that also uh, from a scriptural standpoint. Like, what do the scriptures have to say about happiness as well? But before I do that, I just want to share this parable with you. It's been used in lots of different places. Maybe you've heard it before, but it goes like this. It says, there's two young fish swimming along. An older fish swimming in the opposite direction looks at the other two young fish and says, Hey, boys, how's the water? The two fish kind of look at each other and keep swimming. Eventually, one of the younger fish looks at the other and asks, What's water? The basic premise is this, is that a fish doesn't know that it's in water. It doesn't really even know what's surrounding it. Like, it just is. It's what it's used to. And a similar analogy for us as humans may be like the air that we breathe, that there are things in our lives surrounding us that are impacting us that we may not be fully aware of. That's culture. That's what culture does, is that there are things that shape you over time in subtle ways that you may or may not be paying attention to. That's influencing you, the ways that you think, the ways that you live, what you give value to, how you do relationships or how you don't do relationships. And oftentimes, we are shaped by the culture that we are living in. And the funny thing is that something that we do as human beings is we often like come up with a project that we think that we are living in our life. 
you know, like what it is that we truly want to live for, and we form that project based on how we've been shaped by culture, and that project we carried along with us in life. And if you find yourself in a place like this, you find yourself in church, and you choose to follow Jesus, oftentimes, again, you may not be aware of it, but you have this project for your life, and then you present it to Jesus. You say, okay, Jesus, now that you're a part of my life, here's my project, here's what I'd like to achieve. Can you help me with this? Because I've been shaped by the culture that I've been raised in. I've been shaped by my political party or, or, or my career or my family, the community that I'm a part of, or an educational system that tells me there's a certain way to live life, a full, interesting, meaningful life, what it is to be truly human. So I have these goals, and Jesus, can you help me with that? And the scriptures would argue that it turns out Jesus already has a project that he's been working on for a long, long time. And to follow Jesus is to simply abandon all other projects, to surrender your life to him and his project and the life that he's intended for you to have, which is fully, intimately connected with the Father. And his project is reshaping the world around you, reshaping you in the process. And what that means is this. God will not be a means to an end, but he is an end in and of himself. If there's anything you can take away from my talk, like that right there would be the conclusion. He will not be a means to an end. He's an end in and of himself. In order to notice that, we kind of have to like step out of the moment that we're living in and just kind of evaluate our culture and like where we're at. You know, how do we get to this point? And, and, and Christ followers, generation after generation, repeatedly has done this where they have to step out of the moment that they're in and say, how did we form this way of living and thinking? And okay, Jesus, what do you have to say about that? And so there's a number of different cultural narratives that many of us buy into. And I could, you know, I don't have time to address all of them, but if I summarize just even a couple popular ones, one would be individualism, you know, like where it's the idea of just you're saying, like, I know what I want, I know what I need, this is who I want to be, and I want the world to accommodate me. This is my story that I'm working on, that I'm building, this version of myself, this is who I am. It doesn't matter the story of where I came from, the history or responsibility I have towards others. No, as good Americans, this is who we are. We kind of create ourselves. You build your own brand of who you are. And the scripture says, no, no, no. Actually, you're called to join in on God's story. There's a much bigger picture at play here that you're called to be a part of, to join in on God's family in his project. Or like an idea of, of uh, freedom, you know, like what culture says and what it means to be truly free. And like culture tells you, like, just do whatever you want. Like, live life free from constraints. Don't let anyone hold you back. Don't let anyone restrain you. You just do you and follow your gut. Whatever works for you, whatever makes you happy. That's basically saying, like, just let the internal desires dictate your life. And scriptures say, no, 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 that's actually really dangerous. Like, you got to have some restraint in your life. You let your, your desires run your life. I mean, that just, that just leads you into a ditch. It's a dead end. Like, if I were to do that, like, if I were just like, you know, I'm just going to allow my, my desires run my life, that'd be bad for me and everyone around me, you know? Like, just like small examples, like, when it comes to eating. Like, if it were up to me to follow just my internal desires and say, like, I just want to be free. This is what makes me happy. Listen, 
I would only just eat really thick, delicious Italian food, like, all the time. Because <laughs> like, I just love, I'm like, just bring on the lasagna, you know, the Italian sausage. Like, when we moved here to New Jersey, I was like, oh, no, like, this is going to be bad for me. Like, the Italian restaurants, it was just amazing. I went, went and got pizza, like, the other day, and they, like, this place, they throw in free garlic knots. And I'm like, oh, don't do this to me, man. Like, come on, you know? But, like, that's how it is. Like, I would just never eat a salad, like ever again you know i could say like i don't need restraint don't 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 prevent me from experiencing that that level of freedom because this is who i am this is how i identify like deep down i'm just an overweight italian man like deep down <laughs> like that's that's just me right but the scriptures say no you need to have restraint because you're actually a slave on the inside and to experience true freedom is being transformed from the inside out so to be free is to choose restraint on purpose. So that's just a couple of them. But today, I want to talk about what culture says when it comes to happiness and what it means to be truly happy. So like, if I had to evaluate in your own life, when was a time that you were truly happy? And you just think about like what was it that made you just so happy like in this, in this moment where you're just feeling like everything's just going really well, like just pure contentment. Like, what was it that you did to achieve that level of happiness? Just think about that for a minute. Here's the thing. I absolutely love when the scientific world aligns itself with ancient biblical wisdom. Like, when scientists who have just been studying, like, human minds and sociology for years, they, they come up with these studies and discover, like, the ways that, like, our, our, our minds work and how we manage things like joy and pain. And then they've discovered, like, the ways that we have this, this broken understanding of, of happiness when it comes to happiness. And then they present this idea forward like it's new. And those who've read the scriptures are like, oh, well, that's actually been in the Bible for a really long time, you know, but it's fascinating when the science is backing that as well. And there's a ton of science around this when it comes to just the brain chemistry and how the chemicals in our body work towards managing things like joy and pain and all sorts of different studies that I would say is commonly known as positive psychology or just over the last 20 years. So uh, real quick, uh, I just want to do something with you guys. You, you want to participate in a quick uh, quiz? You want to do that? Yes? Okay. Some of you are like, don't do this to me, man. Just, you know, just say what you want to say. Let's get it over with. All right. <laughs> Two-question quiz. Number one, would you rather make $100,000 or $250,000? Some of you are like, okay, I know this is a trick. <laughs> you know? Okay, let's, let me change it just, just ever so slightly. Would you rather make $100,000 when everyone around you is making $50,000 or would you rather make 250000 when everyone else is making 500000 Here's the crazy thing. Yeah, this is verifiable science. The studies on this would say that if you're answering correctly, you would choose option one, making $100,000. And here's why. We are just strange, strange creatures when it comes to how we measure our contentedness against the world around us. I mean, it's an objective fact that you would be miserable if you were making 250000 because everyone else around you is making 500000 Now, I know what you're thinking. Keep thinking it. I'll address it in a second. All right, second question. Would you rather win a million dollars in the lottery or be physically disfigured 
in a way where you're not experiencing continual pain, but you're like permanently changed. Like you lose a limb or something like that. Everyone's like, yeah, I'll take the million, please. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) like really? But here's the thing. Again, this is so consistent. Like it's not even close when you run the studies on this that you would actually have better odds of long-term happiness if you were physically disfigured than if I were to just hand you a million dollars. And here's why. For those that have had this happen to them physically, this, this physical condition changes their life completely, changes something in their body, but it helps them clarify and release their life about who they are, what they want to be, how they want to pursue honest connection and friendships with people. They're so much more content. So much so that like some would say later on in life, like I would never wish this upon anybody because it's very painful, but I can't imagine my life without it. Like I'm infinitely much more happy and content. Meanwhile, those who won millions of dollars in the lottery lead miserable, miserable lives. Again, you just read the statistics on this. The suicide rates for lottery winners, shockingly high. The destruction of marriages and families, shockingly high. The levels of bankruptcy. And again, it's, it's, this isn't just like, oh, there's a few bad stories out there. No, it's like the vast majority. So much so that the University of Stanford wanted to legislate putting warning stickers on lottery machines saying, this could be hazardous to your health. If you win, it's just there's so many uh, destructive stories that are out there. And I know, again, you're sitting there. I know what you're thinking. You're like, not me. <laughs> Would you agree with millions of dollars? You know, I don't know who those people are. Those people are just, they're just not doing it right. They must be dumb or something. I don't know, you know, but you're thinking like, I would be fine. Listen, all that proves, all that proves is that you have a story of how you understand happiness that's so embedded in you that you can't listen to verifiable facts that you've so bought into this false narrative that just says, if you just have a little more, if things just change a little bit, if the circumstances were just different, then you would be happy. Many of you in this room, with your lifestyle, with your income, like in the eyes of most people like outside of America, you're rich. Do you know that? You're like, I have my basic needs met and then like a little bit extra and some health insurance. But like, like, listen, outside of America, like the eyes of the world, like you are rich. Why did no one cheer? Because you don't feel rich. The reason you don't feel rich is because you're comparing yourself to the world around you because culture is lying to you. You just go through social media. So many voices out there that just say, if you just change this, if you add these steps to your life, you'll be content. If you remove this person, just remove this relationship, exclude this thing, you'll be much better off. And this is why people are just drowning in debt. And this is why people, when it comes to relationships, they're just miserable in their connections with other people. Because they're always just thinking, there's got to be somebody else out there that's much more interesting, you know? You find like you're just never satisfied with your friends. You're like, there's got to be a better way 
to do this. There's got to be better friends that are out there, the way that friends are supposed to be in ways that my friends just aren't. And so you live in this constant state of, of, of misery, buying into this cycle, because culture is lying to you. And it's incentivized to lie. Because the more it lies, the more crap that you buy. The more that you just go chasing after these new experiences to just satiate you. And so this stands over and against ancient wisdom from the scriptures that tell us there's a way to live life with real joy that is substantive and will exist forever. So the passage that we're going to read is Psalm 1. In Psalm 1, it says it like this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. And by the way, that word blessed could just be easily translated as, as happy. Like when, you know, like even like on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount. That's a better, better translation for that word would be happy. Like happy are the peacemakers. It's not just simply a position of being blessed, but it's, a, it's like an experienced joy. Goes on, it says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And so this psalm, much like the Proverbs, as well as many of the other psalms and Proverbs, they always kind of like paint this picture. You know, it's a bit of like a cartoon where it's always like, you know, here's what the godly people do. Here's what ungodly people do. Like, here's the path of the righteous. Here's the path of the unrighteous. And so it's like they're kind of creating these two bright line distinctions on how to live and think differently. And the invitation is always very, very implicit, saying, come and walk on this path and not the other. And most Psalms and Proverbs, sometimes it can be a little unfair the way that they come across or like they're really like weighted. But what I love about Psalm 1 is that it indicates some things that are actually pretty balanced. Like first and foremost, it says life goes in seasons. In other words, like not every moment of your life is going to be amazing. And that doesn't mean there's anything wrong. You know, like the, 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 the scriptures are saying that like that's going to happen. Life is going to come in seasons where things are going really well, when things are really, really hard. Most of you know that. Most of you, you're, you're all in different seasons of life right now. Some of you are in a really great season. You showed up at church today. You're like, it's snowing outside and 21, 2021 is here. You know, you came skipping through the lobby. You're just pumped, right? Others are like, I don't really know what that's like. But, but you do, like, because you know you've experienced certain seasons like that before, where you've had moments of experiencing immense amounts of grace and peace and rest. I mean, that's why we go on vacations, right? You know, anyone ever been like on a resort vacation before? You know, like, it's just, it's worth saving for. My wife and I, before kids, we got to go on one in uh, Orlando, and it's just incredible. You're out there, beautiful weather, and you're just by the pool, and like people bring you food and drinks, and you're just like, this is the way life was always meant to be. You know, <laughs> like, and you have that moment where you're like, this is it. This is what I want to live for. And like, it's kind of like the idea of retirement for most Americans, where we form this idea of like, if I just work really, really hard, someday I'll be alleviated from all of this pressure, and I will live at that resort, and all will be well. 
right? And so, but some of you, you're in a hard season right now. You're in a season where things just don't seem to be working really great. You're in a moment where you're just feeling like your finances are draining. Relationships are just kind of falling apart. Maybe even just physically, you have things in your body that just are breaking, that just aren't working properly. And here's the thing, what the psalmist is referring to in this passage, he says, in life there will be seasons, but as Christ followers, we develop a certain kind of life with God where we are just rooted differently. That no matter what the season, good or bad, we're always being nourished by the stream. That's where we find life with God. We are connected with him in a way where we find life in the hard seasons, in the storms, and when things are going really easily. Whereas those not connected to God, they are like chaff and blown by the wind, connected to stuff that is just fleeting, where it just kind of comes and it goes. Things might work, they might not work. And what that does is it kind of just forms this way of living where you're just chasing after the wind. You're chasing after the next thing, the next experience, in which you hope will just satiate you and bring some sort of relief. I don't know if you've ever played this game before. I mean, my wife and I, we're not totally at the stage yet. Kids aren't old enough, but I've heard couples do this, you know, when they say like, man, you know, if our kids can just get through the end of the school year, if we can all just get to the end of the school year, we'll be able to relax, right? Like the sports programs, the pressure of school, all that stuff, like we can finally just get to summer and as a family, we'll be able to finally just rest, right? And then what happens? Summer rolls around. You're like, get these kids out of the house, like get them back into school. And you have these moments where you're just thinking, if I can just get to this moment, if I can just have that. You know, some of you, like when it comes to money, like if you could just have an extra $10,000, like how many of you are like, yeah, I'd take an extra $10,000. That would change a lot, right? You know, like, sure. You know, like if I just handed you $10,000, like would that change all your problems? Like, no, it would change everything, but it would help. And that's true, but it's temporary. It's fleeting. Like, the reality is, is that we're always going to have things in our life that are going to go wrong, that life is going to hit you differently and challenge you in different ways. These are temporary fixes. It can't be the well of contentment. And again, it's, it's true for relationships as well. When you're thinking like, man, I just... I just need new friends. Like, this is just not going to work for me. There's got to be something, there's going to be a better way that I can relate to people because this isn't working. And I know some of you are thinking, like, no, Thomas, you don't know my friends. Like, they're just really bad friends, you know? <laughs> or, like, you're thinking, my, my boss, he just doesn't get it. My spouse doesn't get it. My kids, you know, like, just don't even get me started. My parents, have you met my parents? And on and on and on it goes. It's this endless endless cycle. And I want to just challenge you. Can you find, can you find a joy that endures through all seasons and all areas of life? Or are you seeking after a happiness that's as fleeting as a vacation? It's fleeting. Because the reality is this too, like you've been on vacation and you know, there've been times you've been on vacation and it didn't go very well, right? You ever have that? Where you're just like, I want to do over you know, like, I mean, I've seen people like we were again, we're back at this resort. And I remember like I'd be at the pool every single day. And at the same time, there was always the same couple that was off to the side and they were just fighting constantly, just like bickering, you know, and like I could never make out what they were saying, but they, they thought they were being discreet. But they just be like, yeah, well, you know, if you just and they're at the buffet, well, I don't care. Yeah, well, you just and I'm just like, oh, my gosh. And like I wanted to just get up and be like, I stop. Stop it. 
You know, like, first of all, you're disrupting my rest. But secondly, like, don't do this here. Like, you have a home where you can go over there. Like, you fight there, but don't do it here, right? It's just proving that, like, even there, people can be miserable. Or when people come back from, like, luxurious trips, and they're much more exhausted than they were before they left. It's fleeting. So what does it look like to have a stable kind of joy that will endure through all seasons? Psalm 4-7 says this, You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. I don't know if you've ever met someone where things are just not working well for them. It just seems like the whole world is working against them, but yet they still find a way to be content and happy. And meanwhile, things are going really well for you, but you still found a way to complain. You ever have that? I know I have. Like, and I encounter those people, and I'm like, I'm doing something wrong here, you know? Because <laughs> I'm forming this myth that says, if I can just change this a little bit, if I can just dial it in right, then I will be content. And it's just not true. If we can't find contentment in life with God on the inside, we'll never find contentment from the outside in. You and I must be rooted in something that goes beyond ourselves, outside of our circumstances, something that will last, rooted to something that will last forever. And that something is offered to us with life in God through Jesus. The ungodly are not so. They are like chaff that the wind drives away. The reality is if you don't root yourself in God, you'll just simply keep coming to him and demanding that he make you happy. This endless cycle where you're saying, God, I deserve this. God, I'm owed this. Things are going well. I'm not feeling much joy. You need to fix this. Again, he will not be a means to an end. He is an end in and of himself. If you choose to pursue happiness in that way, I'm telling you, you'll never find it. But if you choose to serve God, seek first his kingdom, then happiness simply becomes a byproduct. But it's not the aim. It's not the target. Tim Keller, quoting from C.S. Lewis, says it this way. It says, when things go wrong, you may ask yourself, what good did it do me to come to church or read the Bible? Do you know what that shows? It reveals a lie that you tell yourself, I will do this and this as you owe me. My number one priority is happiness, and I'm just using God as a way to get there. Instead of saying my priority is to serve God, and if happiness happens, great, to the degree that it happens, great. But here's the irony. The less you're concerned about your happiness and the more concerned about him, the happier you get. This is not a trick. You can't say, oh, great, I get it if I come to God and I say this and this. Aim at heaven and you get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you get neither. Happiness is a byproduct. Again, this is just so true when it comes to how we live by the scriptures. It just cuts against, it cuts against the, the, the reality, the, the, you know, the grain of our culture. It almost, it almost sounds like a myth, but I would like you to consider that Many Americans have just bought into this myth when it comes to contentment. And the psalmist, what he's referring to, is living a life in such a way where you're being transformed from the inside out because you're allowing yourself to be nourished by his stream, not these temporary fixes or external circumstances. 
The psalmist refers to a lot of things here that I think many people have given up on. Like, things like just loving and living the word of God. But the psalm says, like, he who delights in the law of the Lord walks with God. That you would just be so saturated by God's word. It's not something you just read out of obligation, but it's something that you feast on, that you meditate. You meditate on the scriptures day in, day out. There's a rhythm to this. And that word meditate could actually be translated as uh, mumble, you know, that, you, that you mumble the words of God throughout your day, that they're, they're always on your lips, that it's always just penetrating your heart. It's transforming you from the inside out where you always know that you are loved, that you are free, and that there is a peace that transcends all understanding. And you let these words burn within you and ruminate in your soul. What the psalmist is basically saying is that the words of God, you eat the words of God. You feast on the words of God. And it's not like, you know, like in a fast food way, just like how, you know, like food in, fuel. No, but instead, the imagery is actually the way a cow eats grass. And, you know, the way a cow eats grass, I mean, it's not like just this slow chew, you know, but it digests it in a certain stomach, and then it pukes it up and eats it again. I know you're like, oh, gross. Like, that's not how I want to think about the scriptures. But, like, you get what I'm saying, that you allow it to just ruminate, that you allow it to just be a more meditative process where it's transforming you from the inside out. Saints throughout history have been speaking about this for years and talking about their experience with scripture. And Jonathan Edwards this theologian, I, I love his personal narrative on this. He says, I had then and at other times the greatest delight in the Holy Scriptures of any book whatsoever. Oftentimes in reading it, every word seemed to touch my heart. I felt a harmony between something in my heart and those sweet and powerful words. I seemed often to see so much light exhibited by every sentence and such a refreshing food communicated that I could not get along in reading, often dwelling long on one sentence to see the wonders contained in it, and yet almost every sentence seemed to be full of wonders. Sometimes only mentioning a single word caused my heart to burn within me, or only seeing the name of Christ, or the name of some attribute of God. It's a beautiful piece. I just love that, you know? Where saints throughout history just been living in such a way where they're allowing the scriptures burn within your heart. Like, when's the last time? you just opened your Bible and you just a word from the scripture just burned within you, where you just felt that passion to just keep diving into the scriptures, the Holy Scripture is a living, active word of God, not out of duty and out of obligation, not just for some guidance, but because God speaks to you through his words and he satiates us through his truth and his promises. You live life in such a way where it's always just being that you mumble the words of God and it's ruminating in your soul as you feast on his word. It's what you give your time and attention to where your heart is transformed. That's true for anything, right? Like if you're only going to give your time and attention to just reading negative, awful political things, that's where your heart will be turned towards. If you're only just dwelling on tragic thoughts, that's where your heart will rest. If you're only thinking about the new countertops you need to get or the, the, the next car you need to purchase or the, ho the home you would like to have, that's where your heart will lie. But when you turn your affection and attention towards Jesus, towards his holy scriptures, 
you live this out, it turns out your heart is transformed. Your heart turns towards those things, the intention of the living God. And the same is true when it comes to worship. I'll finish with this. You can make the same case for worship. Like when we come here to church, we sing songs, right? But what can happen is that it can be easy for you to just kind of like throw on the spectator hat and you kind of just like evaluate from the sidelines. You're not really like jumping in, but you know, you're just kind of like entertained by what's happening. You're like, oh, the band sounds good today. All right. You know, look at Grimaldi go. Yeah, man, he's got some hot licks happening. I like this. It's tight. You know, that's not what we're doing here. It's not, it's not a show. It's not just a production. Like what we're doing is we're creating an environment for you to come and engage with your whole mind, your soul, and your heart to experience the full presence of the living God, to worship the one who is worthy of all of our worship, that you actually participate in this with everything. And you don't just assume by showing up that you're just going to be transformed, that everything's just going to be catered to your needs. I remember the story years ago. I was uh, 17 years old. And my buddies and I were at church, and, and uh, the service just ended, and we're walking out the door. And, uh, you know, we were pastor's kids, so we were always in, like, the adult service. And we actually enjoyed it. We actually really liked engaging with the service. And so we're walking out one day, and one of my friends, he was just kind of like, oh, man, church really sucked today. It was just, I don't know, it was boring. And I remember being like, yeah, I mean, I know what you mean, because I, I knew what he was referring to. The worship team was just bad. Like, it was bad. Like, you know, they were just really hurting. And uh, the set just, like, you know, fell apart. Um, and so he's like, yeah, the worship wasn't too good. You know, it wasn't very great. And, you know, the, the, the pastor didn't share as many jokes as he did last week. So I don't know. Man. And uh, my other friend, Caleb, he's just like, yeah, but so what? He's like, I mean, it's not for your entertainment. You know, it's not why we go to church. Like, we come here to worship God. You know, we come here to be with other believers and encourage one another you know, to serve. And I'm just saying, we're 17. I was like, well, okay. Like, hey, Caleb, like, what's the, you know, snap. Like, speaking some truth, but like, it stuck with me, you know? Like, I remember just like, just throughout the years, that's just, that's always stuck with me that you can so easily be trapped into spectator mode where you just kind of show up here, you sip your coffee and just kind of evaluate and just join the show, you know? But the thing is, is that if you're expecting the program to transform you. You're never going to be satisfied with this. There's going to be times where if it hits a dry spot in the service, you walk out of here and you're like, well, that didn't really work. Then I guess I got to go find the next thing. And you got to move on to the next, next program. It happens. This is why some people leave churches at times because they're coming in thinking that if I just show up, then all will be made right. Then the transformation will happen. That's not how it works. It's like going to the gym. And if you go to the gym, but you only sit in the hot tub, and you sit there and you wonder, like, why am I not in shape yet? You know, like, you're thinking, oh, I never thought about this before. Like, you actually got to work the machines, right? Like, you actually have to come and work, like, what we're doing here. That you engage with this, with your heart, with your mind, with your soul. And you lead yourself in this process as the Lord transforms you from the inside out. While we're together and when we're not together. I want to live my life in a way where I'm just always dependent on God, no matter what's happening, no matter what the season, no matter how tired I am, no matter how stressed I am with this current situation, with COVID and what we're going through, you know, because I know I like, listen, like I was like many of you back in May, I was like thinking 2021, like could not come soon enough, you know, like they just got to get this over. Well, now it's here. And how do you feel? Less anxious, more anxious, right? It's like, these are fleeting 
pursuits. It has to be that you and I are rooted in something that goes beyond just what's happening in the external circumstances. I'll finish with this last quote from Brother Lawrence. And just bear with me. I know like the language of this and some of the imagery might be a little, a little weird to connect with, but it says this. It says, my most unusual method is the simple attention. In such a general, passionate regard to God, to who I find myself often attached with a greater sweetness and delight than that of an infant at a mother's breast, so that if I dare use the expression, I should choose to call this state the bosom of God, for the inexpressible sweetness which I taste and experience there. I know, not everyone can connect with that. Some of you are like, it's a bit odd. I get it. But... Like what he's saying here is that you can live your everyday life and train and work in a way that you experience the love and presence of God no matter what is happening. And that kind of sweetness and goodness and connectedness goes beyond anything that you can imagine. That we get to choose to live life that way, where we delight in the Lord. My encouragement for you today is delight in the Lord. Stay firmly rooted in him, in your spiritual rhythms, your day-to-day, through worship, through prayer, through the scriptures. Be transformed from the inside out. As you set your goals for this new year, be firmly rooted in your life with the Lord. Be aware of the caution of Psalm 1, where it says, don't sit in the seat of scoffers, but yet delight in the Lord. Find a life where you are connected with him. And I just want to say this a little more directly to uh, millennials, you know, I, I think it applies to like all ages, but my generation, like there's just this, this, this lie I feel is very prevalent in our generation where it's speaking about deconstruction of faith. And I just want to say, just buck the trend that says, I must deconstruct my faith in order to find my faith, where I must separate myself from God's people and everything that God cares about in order to be fully who I'm meant to be. Yeah, I just tell you, that's a lie. It's just a lie. It's a dead end. It leads you nowhere. But instead, delight in the Lord. Delight in the law of the Lord. Choose to find life with him. Connect with people that help you follow Jesus and do the work when we're together in this space and when we're not together. I'm telling you, you can find a joy and contentment in Jesus you can't find anywhere else, but it will last and it is durable. Amen? All right, why don't we stand? We'll close. Father God, you are just so, so good to us. And Lord, we just ask right now for just a grace to receive more of your love and your joy that you have offered us, and it's free in Jesus. Lord, right now, we just open up our hearts to you, and we say, come, Holy Spirit. Come, Lord, just with a fresh, fresh wind of grace and peace over our souls right now, that you would reignite our passion for you, God, reignite our passion for your word, reignite our passion for worship, God, We reignite passion for just life with you, where we walk with you, we're nourished by you, that you are the source of all contentment and joy and freedom and peace in life, God, that you are the source. We surrender to you today. We commit this year to you, God, 
that in all of our plans and all of our goals and all of our strategies, Lord, you are still the king. We give this all to you. We surrender it and say, come and have your way with us. Transform us, God, from the inside out. Even when we question things, even when we're in doubt, even when we're confused or frustrated, Lord, would you meet us in those places and sit with us? Remind us of who you are, the goodness of who you are. As we sang this morning, that you are good all the time. May that continue to ring true in our hearts throughout this year, moving forward with you, God. Continue to shape us. Continue to give us discernment and know when culture is trying to influence and when it's you, God. And may we always redirect our hearts to you and your path, God, that we allow you to be the one that forms who we are and what it is that we are called to live for. I just speak a peace over everyone in this room, those who are back home that are streaming with us, God, that you would just meet them wherever they're at and that you just continue to break off anything that is not from you and the lies of the enemy that just tells us we don't have enough. We have more than enough, Lord, because we have you. You are our God. You are our Savior. You are the King. We love you, God. We're obsessed with you, Lord. All of our affection and attention may it be directed towards you. You are so good. And I just ask, um, if, there, if there's anyone in this, this room right now that has yet to start a relationship with Jesus, I want to invite you to do that this morning. So if you would just do this, just in the quietness of your own heart, just say this prayer with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I give you my life. I surrender to you. Jesus, I want to know you in a personal way. I want to meet you in this moment. I want you to be Lord over my life. Would you come now, forgive me of my sins, and redeem my heart? I believe that you died on the cross for me, for my sin. You rose again so that I may have life and life eternal with you. I believe that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And I surrender to you now. Come. I want to begin a new relationship with you today. Father, anyone who said that prayer this morning, would you just seal those prayers right now and, and uh, just, just meet them in this moment, God. Just meet them where they're at and just bring your spirit of comfort and peace. Let this transformation just begin right now, Lord, as they just continue to be ministered by you. And just do me a favor. If you said that prayer, I have just the next step for you. We'll put it up on the screen here. Um, you can text the word follow to this number, 201-584-7188. If you text follow to that number, uh, we have one of our staff pastors here, uh, Pastor Charles, will be in touch with you. love to reach out and answer any questions you may have in regards to this, this uh, decision that you just made. And so we just want to bless you with that. And for the rest of you, uh, we have an opportunity for you to receive ministry. There will be a team off to the side, off to my right here for you know, just to pray for anything that you got going on, whether it's uh, just some hard life circumstances or you're feeling sick or know someone who's sick and you just need some, some healing and some breakthrough or perhaps anything that, you know, I just mentioned in my talk where you're like, yeah, I just need a new perspective on, on contentment and, and joy. And I just really just need the Lord to, to just meet me in this area that I can find some freedom in that. And so we'd love to pray for anything you got going on. So feel free to come get some prayer as we close. All right. Well, God bless you guys. And again, Happy New Year.
and experiences joy today.